0: Hello, and welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory. On the Rocks! With Katie and Allie. So normally we'd be hanging out, just the two of us. We'd be having some drinks. We'd be talking about famous women from history. But sometimes we like to talk about women who are writing about history or making history themselves.
1: We have a very special guest with us here today, Tana Wojcik. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thanks for having
1: me. Tana is a writer, editor, and educator, and we have invited her on the show today to talk about her book, Lady Romeo, The Radical and Revolutionary Life of Charlotte Cushman, America's First Celebrity. Hi, Tana. Can you tell us a little bit about
2: yourself? Hi, yeah, great. So, uh, as you said, my background is sort of multifaceted. Um, I started out as a real theater nerd and being really interested in history also. And so when I found out about Cushman, it was sort of a natural fit, but I was also just so curious how she could have been so famous and yet now almost totally unheard of.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a really interesting story because we got your book and it was so good. It was just Great. such a delight to read. Um, and yeah, just from like the first little bit of the the beginning of the book, I was like, All right, how do I not know who this woman is and
1: how do I not know her story? Yeah, not knowing anything about her, I immediately yeah. went to like Wikipedia and I was yeah. like, Ooh, why don't I know that this person ever existed? So because our listeners might be doing something like changing the oil in their car right now. (laughs) Who knows? Their hands are busy. Uh, We kind of want you to give us a little bit of a physical description of Charlotte. In your book, you mentioned several times that she kind of knew she wasn't, quote unquote, traditionally beautiful. Um, So what
2: what did she look like? Great. So she was, um, once described by a friend as having a mouth like the Arc de Triomphe, which Ooh. is like you imagine this big sort of downward curving <laughs> <laughs> mouth. Um, and you know, in fact, offstage, she was quite, uh, gregarious and the center of many social circles and very deeply beloved by her friends. Um, and very funny, but on stage she played tragic figures. Um, and so her physique and her look really were part of that um so she had a a very large tall you know sort of broad shouldered body um She was as tall as most men, um which was about five seven, which was very tall for a woman at the time and so when she was on stage next to her male um you know counterparts. She was as big as they were, you know visually um she also had a very distinctive face um, it was sometimes described as lantern jawed, which is like this very heavy um, very uh masculine looking jaw <laughs> jawline and very big, beautiful uh, expressive deep set gray eyes. So, so she had a face that was built for tragedy. Mm-hmm. You really couldn't have asked for like a more, more perfect theater face. Um, but again, it wasn't traditionally beautiful. And so she, she was not cast or did she try to play any of the ingenue roles, you know, like, like Juliet or anything like that. Uh, she went out for, um, really powerful, you know, women like Lady Macbeth early on, that was her first role. And then later she started playing men's roles. She played Romeo and Hamlet and many other men's roles.
1: That's incredible. You just painted a wonderful picture. You did. I'm <laughs> usually terrible
0: at the description.
1: <laughs> that was great. So we created a signature cocktail for your book and we named it Lady Romeo. We'll send you the picture and everything. It has a flower on it in the picture, but we didn't want to drink flowers. Yeah. So when mixing it, it is kind of a take off of a Lady Macbeth cocktail that I found online that I thought would be cool to kind of mix it up. But I kind of Americanized it by adding some more trashy ingredients so it wouldn't <laughs> be too Shakespearean. Um, okay. so I did two ounces of vodka, two ounces of sweet vermouth, two ounces of sweet white wine out of a box, preferably <laughs> one and a half ounces of fresh lime juice, and then three ounces of tonic water. And you have the lady Romeo. So cheers and cheers. To you. It's a little early on Friday, so Yum.
2: sorry. <laughs> That's great. I made a mocktail. I'll make that one. I'll make that one in a little while. I love it. That I sounds great. It. Thank you.
1: Of course. So, I mean, let's let's dig into this because I I loved your book. I thought it was written so beautifully and it's it's really refreshing as a history person. Like you teach um writing courses, correct? Right, that's right. Yeah. You could tell. It was a very easy read. Sometimes when you get into a book written by history people, Mm -hmm. you're like, when does it end? (laughs) But this this was just, you fly through it.
0: Yeah. And I do have a question about that. Um, Did you have a hard time not going on tangents with some people? Because she is surrounded by like every famous person that existed at the time. It's insane like at one point you're like wait John Wilkes Booth is involved like what is going on like but did it, did you have to hold back at all because like there's a lot of people there
2: yeah oh yes I mean really the lesson of the whole book has been holding back yeah. and then when to let go when to yeah. go you know go for it but um so I'm up I'm just gonna begin at a funny uh little tangent speaking of Bohan tangents. Um, I'm obsessed with detective stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I grew up reading, you know, all those, you know, detective Nancy Drew and Encyclopedia Brown, and then Tana French is one of my favorites now. <laughs> I love Tana French. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so happy that I get to share a name with her. Yeah. Um, but I wanted, so I really wanted this to read like a detective story, almost, of like why was she forgotten, and, a, and an adventure novel. Um, her her time was like the time of the first real adventure novels. Um, and so, but to make something that was like totally true, read like a novel took 10 years of research. Oh my <laughs> um, it, uh, yeah, I started it when I was still in graduate school, oh which my while ago. um, you know, work in looking at original letters in archives, you know, all over the place, um, all of the States and sometimes all over the world. And, um, really piecing together a lot of what other people had written about her because she isn't that well known she's not always even going to be on an index when you're doing research so um yeah so i got i went down a lot of rabbit holes i i looked at a lot of her contemporaries who we know now and they all wrote about her and they all knew her so you know Whitman loved her and Emerson was her pastor and Longfellow wrote plays for her and but we know them but we don't know her so it's almost like there's this big sort of negative space in the middle of all of Mm. these other people who we know that's Charlotte Cushman shaped. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, you know, the book was many, many times longer than it is now, but I think it's, I think it's better to introduce you to someone you didn't know. I don't think I wouldn't necessarily, I would, I would want to be the kind of person who picks up a 400 page biography of someone I've never heard of, but I probably wouldn't. So I, I wanted it to be accessible. Um, and a good read, hopefully.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was wonderful. And I mean, let's, let's start with that. Her being not well-known, how did you piece together her early life and her childhood? Like, where did you find those pieces of information?
2: Because that was so interesting Mm -hmm. to me. Great. Um, Yeah. So a a little um, secret about what's available on Cushman (laughs) 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 from the lifting up the rock of like What's under there is there are thousands of letters written by and to her, but they all are from the very last part of her life. Hmm. After she retired, she wasn't on the stage. She was, um, you know, happily. Well, I wouldn't say happily, but married, (laughs) devoted, (laughs) um, but also having an affair with this 19 year old actress who later became her niece. So all the letters are to this this young woman, um, Emma Crow. So that's great that we have that. I'm so grateful for that material, but it left out most of her career, including, and her childhood. Um, so I pieced that together through, first of all, mentions of her childhood she makes in those letters, um, whatever she can remember uh, when she's older, but also doing a lot of contextual research. So what was Boston like? You know, what, what were the people like? What was the theater like? Um, It was crazy. She was born at a crazy time. the, the America was only 40 years old when she was born. So there's a lot, and it didn't really have a definable culture. Um, So I sort of was able to piece it together using um, a lot of other things that other people had written and, and context from the time.
0: Mm. And um, I do kind of want to bring it back to her beginning year. So her father left when she was young and Charlotte had to kind of work to help her mom. And how did women of this era typically deal with that loss of income? Because eventually she kind of turns to the stage, but that didn't seem like that was very
2: common. No, it was very rare to be able to be successful on the stage. It was a huge gamble that she took. um, One of many. Um, Women, you know, as you're, Mentioning didn't have very many resources. They couldn't have careers. Um, they were not welcome in jobs uh, That men, you know, were had already taken um, So usually they were farmed out to relatives was the first attempt So like if there were children in the family, they would be offered up to first to family members um, my gran- my grandmother had a brother who this happened to like during the Great, you know, Great Depression um, and then if there weren't family members, they would even just be like offered up for adoption, essentially. So the families would be broken up. And so what she did is opened a boarding house, which is a really disreputable thing to do. <laughs> yes. So she was willing to sacrifice you know, her pride and her social standing <laughs> and her probably a lot of her friends and family to do this to keep her family together. Mm -hmm. Um, So Charlotte, it was sort of a Cinderella story, not to be too cheesy, but like she did, she scrubbed the floors, she emptied bedpans, (laughs) she worked, you know, for her mom, and then later, you know, became an actress. But many women um, became prostitutes. That was probably for for a young, poor woman, that was a really common um, pathway. Um, And especially women who came to cities, who were trying to live that adventure story and like make you know, make a living, that was really where they, a lot of them ended up.
0: Well, I think that brings us to a very interesting kind of, I don't know, Venn diagram of Charlotte's story is that you talk in the book about the theater as a place of kind of ill repute. And you literally like take it from the top levels of like, you know, the mezzanine or whatever, and how like people were soliciting sex in these upper levels. And I think we think of the theater as this place of like sophistication and grace. And it obviously wasn't back then. So how did it become that? And like, why did it get that? I mean, obviously we know why it got that reputation, but (laughs) (laughs) what's the story there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was really both. I mean, the, it was like high culture and the way that people would get to see opera and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But then the operas would be bookended with like bawdy, um poetry and song and whatever, crazy dance. Um, and then, yeah, I was really interested in the theater as the sort of mixing of high and low culture. And especially in America, I think it was very much a microcosm of America, um, and all classes would, classes would come for the theater, all races came to the theater, but then again, within the theater, they were all segregated. Mm-hmm. So again, a, a fitting microcosm of American culture. So like everyone was there, but they were all watching from different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but weirdly enough, you know, some of the poor, the like, the cheapest seats were on the very top level. Um, in the gallery, as they called it, up by the rafters. And they were like avid theater fans, and they would throw raw chicken and (laughs) rocks and all kinds of things down on the stage and on the people sitting below them, usually wealthier people sitting below them, if they didn't like the play. And they knew Shakespeare, you know, by heart, and they knew if you got it wrong. Hmm.
1: Yeah, there were so many quotes um, from the book, both about uh, U.S. history and about women that I was just like writing down in my little quote <laughs> journal. I was like oh my goodness like that's such a succinct way to to put what was happening in America like everybody cramming into these small places and I, one thing I thought was really cool about her like as a female is that she played both female and male roles was that common? I think I know that like that small women played Peter Pan <laughs> a <Yeah>. lot. <laughs> like I guess I didn't know that like women were playing like Shakespearean like Romeo's. You know?
2: Yeah, um, that was you know one of the ways I discovered Cushman to begin with. I um, was interested in cross dressing and like different gender roles in Shakespeare. I think I played viola like in high school or something, but I was always interested in that. And like the men's roles seemed like just like the best roles. Uh Um, And I was kind of bummed that I never got to play those. And then I found out later that, yeah, it was pretty common, especially in the 18th and 19th century, uh, particularly for women to play. um, Hamlet was like the more popular one, I think. Um, But the key difference between that uh, tradition and Charlotte was it was usually for the men's pleasure. So like a woman would play a man, but she wouldn't look like a man necessarily. She would be in, but she would be in tights and it was very sexy. You get to see her legs and it was also for, for humor. I mean, Shakespeare had men playing women's roles for comic effect, mm-hmm. right? So that they, they looked very silly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Charlotte didn't, did not do that. Um, she was very convincing in these male roles. And um, one reviewer once said, you know, she made a better man than most men playing Romeo. And like, that got me super excited because she's actually changing what it means to be a man. She's yeah. not only changing what, what's possible for women, but like defining men and masculinity. And her Romeo was very sensitive and very loving. <laughs> and, you know, so um, people found that very exciting and very convincing. She didn't bind her breasts, which was interesting. Hmm. So it's not as though, even though she looked masculine, it's not as though they could forget that she was a woman. So they kind of got to see this interesting um, juxtaposition and um and they loved it she she just was so successful with it
0: yeah and there's also this very interesting part where she is playing Romeo and her sister actually plays Juliet which I thought was fascinating was that also scandalous at the time
2: or were people like oh whatever (laughs) no it was scandalous Um, (laughs) (laughs) she was really smart um another reason this so this is the reason she's America's first celebrity um when she first went to England, she had played Romeo, but she decided, I'm going to play Romeo with my sister as Juliet in England. And the British did not think Americans were good actors. Our mm-hmm. accent was terrible. We were not high class enough. We were just sort of boars, basically. <laughs> um, and certainly not a, you know good enough for Shakespeare. And uh, she she not only like, performed Shakespeare very eloquently, but she she performed it with, with her sister. So um, what she did is she gave people a curiosity. They wanted to come see her do it, and, and mm-hmm. that gave them a reason to come to the theater. And then once they did, they were totally convinced by her acting. Mm. So she was also a really savvy promoter and business person in that way. They didn't want to let her do it. She had to, she had to convince that she had to convince her theater manager to do it. It was not a popular choice. Yeah.
0: That was one thing that I loved about her was every time I got to a point in the book, she just seemed so like gutsy. And I feel like she was always going that extra mile to make sure her career was on track. And then we get to this really interesting point in the book too, where she is cast in the role of the prostitute in Oliver Twist, which is you wrote in the book, it's like a death sentence for yeah. an actress because they already think that like actresses are prostitutes. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> But she decides to go down to this place called Five Points and she does like method acting research. I mean, was anyone else yeah. doing this at this time or was it just Charlotte like going for it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't say for sure that no one was doing it, but I haven't read of anyone doing this. Um, Definitely not women. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's dangerous for her to do this. Um, There were some actors uh, who would claim to be drawing on personal experience, like later in interviews or with the press. But this is the first time I looked, I found someone like consciously going out and doing this research Mm -hmm. to, to, to understand the character better. Um, so, yeah, I would say she's a pioneer for method acting, for sure. Mm. And um, and also, like, she cared about be- understanding the role of a prostitute. I also think many actors would not, they would have just played it as this broad, sort of slatternly or, like, very sexy character. And that would be it. And she made Nancy into a real, like, sympathetic uh, character, which was really um, a political act in a way. Because there there were a lot of d- debates and about you know what what to do about prostitution and the question then becomes like what to do for prostitutes. Which very right. different.
0: Yeah, because there's that scene of like she gets done her scene and and like a turn that normally wasn't the reaction. People are like applauding her and they're like crying about the death of this prostitute, which normally wasn't the case. And not, not at the, the, the end course. of that scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. In terms of her celebrity, like, what would it be compared to today? Is she A-list? Is she Angelina Jolie? Is she Joaquin Phoenix? Like, (laughs) who who is she? Like, if we had to compare her to to a person today, what level of celebrity did she have?
2: She was one of the most famous women or people in the world. I mean, she was absolutely a household name. Um... You know the the same number of people or as many i should say i came to, you know to hold a vigil for her when she died as as did for dickens for charles dickens mm. um you know she performed for queen victoria she performed for lincoln she was best you know close close friends with william seward lincoln's secretary of state and she moved in every circle which is so interesting like artists and writers and reformers and politicians and other you know it she was everywhere um, before there was even, this was all through letters. So that was why she was like such a great letter writer. Cause she can't, you get a hold of people by phone yeah. <laughs> or whatever, or zoom now. Um, so yeah, so she, she was definitely uh, way up there, if not the most, the most famous female. Um, and people would, you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne saw her at his hotel and he wrote back to his wife, Sophia, like, Oh my God, Charlotte Cushman is at my hotel. I'm so excited. So Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, and it's really interesting too, because she is the most famous woman in the world. And she also has this like queer identity. I mean, I yeah. hope this isn't too much of a spoiler for the book because, you know, she yeah. was had a lot of love affairs and relationships mm-hmm. and marriages to women. I mean, yeah. how did that add to her fame or was she trying to kind of keep it on the down low? Like, <laughs> how did she deal yeah. with that being the most famous woman in America?
2: Yeah. Um so it was sort of an open secret. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that she didn't hide the fact that she lived with women. Mm -hmm. Um, but anytime any reporter asked her about her life, she talked about her career. She did not talk about her private life and really people didn't much back then. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it did happen, but she would have had to like intentionally say, Oh, let's talk about, the woman that i'm really into right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't have really asked her. um but people knew. i mean i think um if you only look at what was published in the 19th century it seems like queerness did not exist.
0: Mm.
2: i mean until henry james wrote the bostonians maybe. Right. um but which was you know long which was like a decade after charlotte died. um but if you if you're reading letters and you're reading private documents everybody knew they either they were you know they were queer themselves or they knew someone who was queer and and these relationships were well known they weren't they weren't necessarily accepted but they were sort of kind of had their own space to to flourish um and then around the time when when charlotte died everything changed the culture changed it was more conservative after the war and and women women were ask, were demanding votes and they were demanding uh, schools and they were demanding jobs and sort of like a great way to control women is to control their, their sexuality and gender performance. And people cracked down pretty hard on that at the time, um, which is another reason she's forgotten about now.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, is this why she fell out of recognition um, because of just the great shift in um, conservatism after the Civil War,
2: yes, definitely. Um, the people who were in charge of her her memory <laughs> to to write it down and preserve it for future generations uh, were Victorian biographers. Mm. And they didn't like her. They were, they, she was not someone they wanted to be remembered. Um, so her, the erasure of her is very intentional. Um, and really then all they had to do was wait until the people who had seen her died, uh, which is, the, it's why theater history is so fragile. Um, and, and her memory was basically erased uh, until, you know, there there were little sparks here and there, but not a lot. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's yeah. why we love having writers like you on to really highlight these people's lives because yeah. I love the part where she's in Rome and she's a part of this crew called the Jolly yeah. Bachelors and they're just living, <laughs> like best life, but there's also scandal and drama. And I just Don't you want never, to go there? I know. <laughs> and I personally would never know that that existed or could exist at this time in the world. Like you know, it's just, and that's why we love having writers like you on because it's just a really nice exploration into this thing that I just didn't know existed. So
1: especially when somebody <laughs> takes 10 years researching, it right <laughs> makes it really easy for me. Yes. Um, yeah.
2: it's Great.
1: So if you, uh, if, if Shakespeare was to write a play about her life, do you think he would have written a tragedy or a comedy?
2: Depends on when you end it, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you know she had a good death. Um, God, with everything she had been through, um, she died with her family around her, the people she loved the most, and she died beloved, and and um, knew that she would be deeply mourned. Hmm. Uh, she didn't necessarily think she would be remembered uh, because she she thought that the theater, the memory of her performances, would just fade which it essentially did for a long time. Um, but I think what she didn't sort of reckon with was how many women she inspired and, and who would then go on to change things. So uh, she was remembered, but it, it just wasn't always in a sort of written way. It was maybe in a more oral history kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. I mean, I hope, I hope people aren't daunted by the 10 years. It doesn't have to take 10 years, (laughs) 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 but you know, I think make being creative with the research and looking, looking for all of the, all of the things that the threads might be attached to Mm -hmm. is exciting. Yeah.
0: And I also kind of want to say, like, I feel like we are remembering her and how Romeo and Juliet ends now, because you were talking in your book and I want to get a little more clarification on this, but it seemed as if, Romeo and Juliet, when like, it was on stage around the time of Charlotte Cushman, they had changed the ending for it to be happier. And they both wake up and they live. And Charlotte was like, no, we're doing it the way he wrote it. People we were like, oh, so many more lines to
2: memorize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you think she's the reason that like traditional Shakespeareanism kind of came back?
2: Yes. Oh, this is like my favorite part to talk about, but I never know. <laughs> I never know how deep to get into this because yeah. I'm so such a Shakespeare. Well, like, oh,
1: geek. we love it. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that flabbergasted me. I didn't realize that, you know, it had been more than a decade since Romeo and Juliet had been played with the full text. Um, which is amazing. Uh, and this, the same guy, Nahum Tate, he did it to lots of Shakespeare plays. He like made Cordelia live at the end, come back to life at the end. And <laughs> he didn't like these like tragic plays apparently. But yeah, the fact that she in England in Shakespeare's hometown, um, brought back the full text of Shakespeare is really significant. Um, and she helped keep Shakespeare popular as well. So it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting part of theater history that she, she brought back the, the full plays and she showed that like the full text could be extremely popular and people will still come. Like you don't mm-hmm. have to water it down. You don't have to change the ending. Uh, you don't have to make it melodrama. Um, Cause his plays can lend themselves to that. It's just like one, one high note after another. And by the time you leave, you're just like ears are ringing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she didn't do that. She made it very, um, psychological in a way that people were not used to seeing at all, um, and inspired a lot of other actors after her. So that helped keep Shakespeare alive, because I think otherwise his plays would have maybe been dismissed as too melodramatic just because of how people were playing them.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So Charlotte walked so Leonardo DiCaprio could run. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Oh, man. Um, Bold claims coming at (laughs) (laughs) you. You heard it here first. I like it.
1: Uh, so I guess let's give our listeners a little bit more so that they go out and buy this book. Um, obviously the book, well, not obviously they haven't seen it. The book starts with a prologue that kind of takes you through Charlotte's last performance and her journey home. How is the rest of the book formatted? Is it chronological? Do you skip around? Like, What are people in for Mm -hmm. if they buy this book or when they buy this book?
2: Yeah. um, So I really did, again, I tried to like, make it like an adventure narrative. Um, So, you know, each section of the book, it's kind of structured in a a, sort of a three act structure. So there are these like pivotal moments in her career and her personal life where things could have fallen completely apart and she could have been just destroyed. And she takes a giant risk and, you know, you don't, you know, you know, from the ending, but you don't know how it's going to turn out. And so, Basically, each segment of her life, her early career, um, her how she becomes so successful, are really about like giant gambles that she takes. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do is, I didn't want to just write the like, ooh, up from bootstraps, and then she was successful. Like, I actually wanted to figure out how. I want a roadmap, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> tell what to do. Uh, and it was really cool to see like why she was successful. So she takes these big gambles, but she's not. She's not just being wild about it. She actually had all of these um, plans of how to make things work for herself. And I also think like one thing people will get to is um, a great story about someone who is able to, you know, beat those odds and become successful, but bring her family along with her and take care of her family. Um, Jill Lepore came out with this fabulous book about Ben Franklin's sister um, and how Jane Franklin was brilliant, but guess what? She stayed home and took care of her family. (laughs) And she didn't, she didn't have a career. She didn't have, you know, even much of a writing life. And so, and he left them behind, um, and in order to become successful. So I think it's not just a gendered thing, but I think it's important to think about, you know, what do people Who do people sacrifice to become successful and who do they have to leave behind? And she is an interesting exception to that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I do want to know, like, are there any perceptions of Charlotte Cushman that you like to refute or correct in in the, I mean, obviously not a lot of people even know her name, but <laughs> are there things about her that you want to be like, no, she wasn't
2: like that. She was like this. <laughs> That's a good question. I I think what I would just correct is just in terms of our, the way we think about 19th century history yeah. and her and her as a product of that, which is like, it's not stuffy. It's not boring. It's not puritanical and victorian it's it's actually very um exciting and lively and bawdy and dangerous and um it's like a a way of like looking at what american culture started to become and like what like threads and things we're trying to continue now but that we're not alone and like there are people who started doing this work you know and she's one of them you know quite a while ago um, so I hope it also just like kind of challenges people's perception of American history. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing that I'm sort of most excited about, sort of like, aha, we got it wrong, myself included. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I know. You know? Every time you got to a part where it's like, then she put on her bow tie and she went and got a portrait <laughs> done with her girlfriend. <laughs>
2: like, yeah. Yes. yes.
1: And it's funny, yeah. like you answered that so nicely because literally our next question is what is missing about this American figure? Yeah. Like what, what don't we know? And it's, that's exactly it. Like. Yeah everything that we've learned about america isn't exactly like by the book
2: mm-hmm. right mm. that's right and i think it if we can trans so there's this this idea in uh comic books in comic book land called retcon <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and ret- retcon where you like retroactive continuity you go back and you uh, which actually you see in the watchmen they do that really well and they go back and you rewrite the history of the character or the, or the world. And then you see how it looks today. And I, I'm looking at this as a form of retcon basically where like, if you go back and it's not, it's not rewriting. Cause it's making stuff up. It's true, but it's resurrecting those histories that will hopefully like totally change the way we're seeing, you know, our culture now and how it got that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I, I mean, I can't tell you enough how this is our favorite thing. Yeah. Usually. On our podcast, we sit and we talk about like famous women um, from history, but it is so much better to talk to a woman actually making an impact and like doing yeah. something about it. Like it is the most, it like gives us chills every time <laughs> we're like, oh my gosh, this person's making a difference. Yeah. Cause
0: we spend, uh, you know, one week, maybe even in some cases one day, if we're running uh, behind researching, researching a person, <laughs> a yeah. person. And it's such a joy and a pleasure to talk to someone who spent 10 years of their life doing this. And we hope that we served your book justice in this interview (laughs) because it's so good. And we really want people to go out and learn about Charlotte Cushman. Um, And I think that brings us to our last question, which is where do people find you? Where do people find your book when it comes out? Yeah,
2: great. Um, So, the book will be out everywhere books are sold. Um, I'm really encouraging people to you, especially now that we're mostly ordering books online, to go use Indiebound mm-hmm. to find their local bookseller, um, and they ha- they will have it. Some one of your local booksellers will have it, and, and right. maybe local would mean in the next state <laughs> possibly. Yeah. Um, but that way, but that way you're ordering it from an indie bookseller, which is great. Um, but it is it's available everywhere, or it will be, um, and it comes out July 7th. Uh, And there will be a virtual launch event in New York. So you don't have to be in New York to attend. Um, And I'll post the details uh, on my website and on Twitter. Um, And uh, I'm really excited also to do a lot of book clubs and like to talk to people who are reading the book. So if anybody reads the book or looks at the book and is excited, um, I'm starting to book up some different kind of smaller events with people who are. Who are interested in talking more about the book.
1: That's great. And can you tell our listeners, what is your um, website and your
2: Twitter? Great. Uh, So it's tanawochuk.com. Unfortunately, you have to spell my last name, but it's it's on the book, but it's uh, also at tanawochuk on Twitter. Perfect. Yeah.
1: That was wonderful. Well, we were so lucky to have you. Thank you so much. And we cannot wait until this goes out so that people just go and buy this book it was such a treat
2: yeah great thank you guys so much thanks for doing this work I've had a a great time like listening to your different podcasts and we need to know more about these women (laughs) thank you (laughs)
0: that's how we feel all the time we're like how has no one heard of her